17. The Fallacy of Primitivism Our thinking about various peoples too often begins with an illusion. We divide them into, quote, primitive, unquote, and, quote, civilized, unquote, peoples, with some gradations between them. The actual difference is moral and religious. Darwinism has seriously warped our views of people on one of the Marquesas Islands, studied by Dr. and Mrs. Robert C. Suggs, who published their report in 1962. The change in the islanders' sexual morality from their first contact with Europeans to the present is very slight. By keeping outsiders from knowledge of their language, the people are able to maintain their culture with ease. The children of these islanders are trained and used in a number of violent and abusive practices, which are nearly universally considered serious criminal offenses in other cultures, including those that have repudiated any obligation to a specifically Christian ethic. The French priests were unable to change the lives of their parishioners, who begin their moral dereliction from early childhood. The priests Suggs met paid a grim price for their years of hard work. Suggs cited the case of one priest, quote, reduced to babbling idiocy by 38 years' toil among his unrepentant, resentful flock, unquote. Robert C. Suggs, The Hidden Worlds of Polynesia, New York, NY, Mentor Books, 1962, 1965, 119, see also, 104 through 119. Is this a racial problem? The people of the island are descendants not only of Marquesian Polynesians, but of Annamese, American Negroes, Chinese, and assorted European peoples. Their genetic history is a, quote, good, unquote, one. Their condition is one arising from a moral and religious choice. In biblical law, marriage with unbelievers is forbidden, as treason to the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 through 16. Marriage with a believer from an evil and debased people was possible, but the descendants of such a union could not, quote, enter into the congregation, unquote, i.e., become officers or leaders unto the third or even the tenth generation, depending on the moral and religious background of the convert's culture. An example of such marriage is Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was honored and respected, but it was only with David that the exclusion ended insofar as authority was concerned. The problem was not racial. It was moral and religious. The Indians were not, quote, primitive, unquote, peoples. They were morally and religiously decadent, and the same can be said for all the European and other advanced peoples at one stage or another in their history. Certainly, the culture of Western man is moving downhill towards the Polynesian level described by Suggs. It must be added that the moral differences between the various Indian peoples were very real. Some men were like Chief Washaki of the Shoshones, an early convert at an Episcopal mission and a remarkably superior man. Dr. Carlos Montezuma of the Yavapai Apache served early in the 20th century at the Western Shoshone Reservation as a medical doctor. The Reverend Sherman Coolidge, a northern Arapaho and Episcopal rector, was a very able and effective pastor. There were differences among the tribes and among the peoples in a tribe. It is not an accident of history that existentialism arose in the 20th century, and so powerfully influenced Western history. With its emphasis on the moment, not faith and history, existentialism feeds the urge to become, quote, primitive, unquote, and pleasure-oriented. While existentialism, as a philosophy, is now less prominent, as a state of mind it has become omnipresent. Existentialism is a normal state among so-called, quote, primitive, unquote, peoples. While on the Western Shoshone Reservation, I had an Indian girl come in weekly to help with the housework. Such things as ironing, and briefly, babysitting. When I returned briefly, three years later, I saw her near a store and greeted her. She had no recollection of me whatsoever. I found this kind of episode commonplace, 
If a relative of an Indian family visited from Fort Hall, the children three months later would not remember the incident because it was of no importance to them. This was not true of members of the older generation, who were part of a culture in which memory of a practical sort meant life. The protective atmosphere of reservation life made an existentialist life possible. Since my time, the reservation has become a center of casual suicide. For the roving bands of Indians prior to the reservation, life had been tenuous. Death was always close. They could not afford the casualness of reservation Indians. Indian life has not been static. Many of the American Indians have seen the rise and decline of Christian faith, and of advance and retreat in terms of growth beyond their earlier ways of living. The older generation I knew relished telling stories of their past, but they resented the attempts of the white men to bind them to that past. They had seen dramatic changes in the lives of white men, from ox carts to airplanes, and they saw no reason why Indians should be chained to the Indian past. Such an approach was to treat them as zoo specimens, and the Indian reservation as an anthropologist's sanctuary and laboratory. To a few of the younger men, this was appealing. It gave them an opportunity to exploit the white man's folly. By the time I left, some of the Native American movements were beginning to make inroads. Their effect was to place a roadblock in the way of development and growth among Indians. If, tomorrow, a conquering power were to require that all white Americans return to the lifestyles and conditions of their ancestors of two centuries ago, they would rightfully consider it a form of oppression. It is no less oppressive when applied to the Indian, 